Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. They're the type of hungry that goes beyond just discomfort or being hangry. They've grown weak and tired. Their skin is pale, their ribs exposed. They no longer have the energy for conversation or the appetite for, for companionship. And the silence fills the space between them. The silence grows loud. The silence is deafening. Their starvation has moved them into madness, and they have become delirious, seeing each other uh, almost like out of an episode of Looney Tunes, like the other person becomes this object of food, and they're like, I'm going to eat them. I'm just going to devour them. And it would be funny if it wasn't real. They become paranoid and suspicious of each other. Their eyes can only see every move as an attempt for the other to act selfishly. They live in a haze. They're unfocused and frustrated because they can't think of anything except the wonder of what it would be like to be truly satisfied. One of their most primal needs is left unattended, and it's eating them from the inside. But they're not hungry for food. They're starved and desperate for connection. They need connection. They need real, deep connection. They need intimacy. They they always thought they'd have it in each other. But somewhere they started snacking on the nutritional equivalent of Cheetos. The digital age is an age where we can be connected to everything at every moment, and it offers us something that, that isn't too dangerous to snack on. But if it's our only diet, we'll be left malnourished and unsatisfied in regards to the connection that we were designed for. God made us for intimacy. Genesis 1, God saw that man was alone, and he said it is not good for him to be alone. So he made woman, and Adam knew Eve. We were made to be known, and we were made to know. We were made to know and be known. God made us for deep, intimate connection, the type of connection where you feel like somebody really knows you and desires your betterment, the type of connection where you really feel like you know somebody and you desire their betterment. My goal today is to reclaim a lost concept something very sacred. In fact, sacredness is implicit in what we're going to talk, to, talk about today. I want to reclaim the concept of intimacy. And I want to argue that intimacy is what we were designed for. Our bodies, souls, and minds crave it and need it just like we need air. We're doing this series on the digital age, on, on being disconnected and how to navigate the digital age. And, and Tim said, you're going to preach on strong marriage in the digital age. And I was, as I prayed and I studied, God convicted me of a timeless truth that I, I needed to strengthen in my own marriage. This truth of, of intimacy. The goal of every marriage is intimacy. It's what you, you commit to. It's what you sign up for, this lifelong journey of getting to know each other. And if you don't have intimacy in your marriage, you don't have a real marriage. If you want a strong marriage in the digital age, you must pursue intimacy. The digital age has these pitfalls and cheap counterfeits that threaten your marriage by threatening what it takes to be intimate. 
So you must pursue intimacy. So let me define intimacy and what it means to be intimate because it's not really a word that we use a whole lot and we kind of use it in small areas out of context. It's more than just the department in Walmart where you buy cheap underwear. It's, it's more than just sex. It's greater than sex. I'll tell you this, though. When it comes to marriage, sex is the natural outworking of intimacy. Intimacy is this. It's to know and be known. Intimacy is to know and be known. This is an experience that happens over time. There's a biblical concept here that I want to dive into, so we're going to look at two words that are used throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, the word is yada. This is to know by experiencing. This is the word, this is the type of knowledge where you, you know everything about somebody, their strengths, their weaknesses, and you choose to love them. You choose, to, you choose them despite it all. You're in full knowledge of them, and you accept them. We see this in Genesis 18, 19, where God is choosing Abraham. God's picking Abraham. He says, I choose you, Abraham. I know you're, you're a bit old for the job. I know that you're kind of a weirdo. I know that, um, that you, you get swindled by your family members, and you kind of got a weak area there, but I choose you despite your flaws. That's to know somebody. The other way this word yada is used, it's an experiential knowledge that comes over time. When we did our Exodus series, Tim talked about the squiggly line that the Israelites had to go through, right? They couldn't just be set free, and that was the end of the story. In fact, in Exodus 6, it says, uh, when God's telling Moses about himself, he says, um, they haven't known me just by the proclamation of my name. But you know God through the experience. They didn't know God just because he said, I am. They knew God because they saw the plagues. They experienced him. They knew God because they wandered in the wilderness and depended on him. They knew God because they marched through the promised land and he showed up time and time again. This is the the concept of the Hebrew culture, the concept of the Old Testament. You know God by his acts, by experiencing them over time. It's progressive. The Vines Dictionary defines it as this way. To know God is to have intimate, experiential knowledge of him. The other way yada is used is kind of like the way it it was used in Seinfeld. Sexual contact, right? Adam and Eve, yada, 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 Cain and Abel, right? That's kind of how they use it. But it's this word to know. It's more than just this biological function. See, sex was always tied to a commitment and a knowing It was a byproduct of this uh, discovering and knowing. Adam and Eve, yada, yada, yada. Sex and intimacy were always tied together. Now, the other word I want to look at, there's yada, and then there's gnosko. This is to be taken in knowledge, to come to know. It implies approval and acceptance. We see it in 2 Timothy, where God says we're his approved workmanship. He knows his people. He knows our weaknesses and our flaws, and yet he accepts us. It's, it's the same one used in, in the Gospels where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and they know me. In the Septuagint, in the Old Testament, when it's translated into Greek, it's interchangeable with the word yada. It's used in that same passage about Abraham. See, the goal of marriage, it, well, let me go back. 
It's also used again for sexual contact. It's used in, uh, in the Gospels. It says Joseph didn't know Mary yet as his wife. There's, there's a knowing always tied to intimacy. Sex is the physical expression of intimacy. Sex belongs in marriage because it was always intended to be the culmination of two becoming one. Sex without commitment and intimacy loses its life-giving, God-given purpose. And when we remove it from that, it, it becomes aimless. It becomes a man-made, pleasure-seeking tool that is devoid of, of real satisfaction. It's also used in John fourteen seven. It says, if you had known, it's when Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, if you had known me, gnosko, this, this ongoing, continual knowledge. It's not a destination. It's not a concept that you can just look at and comprehend, like A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Got it. Know it. Learned that sophomore year. Never forgot it. But it's this concept that you experience, and you can never fully know it's a pursuit that happens over time. He says, if you would pursue me, if you had known me, you would have oida. It's another word for known. Two different words for known. You would fully comprehend the Father. From now on, you do, gnosko, you, you, you progressively know the Father because you have seen me. It's all about relationship, and relationship doesn't have a destination. It's about a pursuit. So let's draw some simple terms and, and conclusions from these biblical concepts. Intimacy is to know someone and to be known by them. But what does intimacy require in order to exist? So I'm going to give you three things that are required if you want to have intimacy, if you want to have deep connection with somebody, if you want to strengthen your marriage, you need these three things to have intimacy. And the first is this, transparent vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable. If you want to, to know somebody and be known by them, you have to be transparent and vulnerable. You cannot have secrets or walls. You can't guard certain segments of your life and, and fragment them off because you will remain unknown. Not only will your spouse feel this one-sidedness, but you will feel it because you will feel unaccepted and unknown. Intimacy requires bearing yourself to one another, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, and historically. Without vulnerability, your relationship will just stay on the surface. If you want to just stay on the surface with your spouse, if you want your marriage to be up here, just continue to talk about nothing but the weather, movies, uh, what's your favorite place to go out to eat, what's on Netflix. But if you want to go deep, the very act of going deep is being vulnerable. It's being honest about your flaws, your weaknesses, being honest about your hopes and your dreams. That is what it takes to be known. If you want a deep, intimate relationship, the kind of relationship that we were designed for, you have to be transparent with your flaws and weaknesses and your struggles and hopes. You have to share what is bothering you and what you struggle with and what you desire. Now, for each of these, there's a digital pitfall that threatens it. And what threatens vulnerability, I'm going to <laughs> proclaim to you, is this loss of sacredness we live in. Everything is public. Nothing is private or sacred. Nothing is intended for a special audience. Vulnerability assumes privacy. Intimacy needs sacredness and privacy. 
If all information is for everyone and there is no privacy and nothing is sacred, you will have nothing that is intimate. Intimacy is about private, and the private and the sacred. It's about knowing someone deeper than what others can observe or experience. And I want to talk to you about social media here for a second. Um, now let me just preface all this, because this whole series about the digital age is not to say we need to become Amish, okay? Social media is amoral. It, it, it doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't make bad decisions for us. It's just when used destructively, wreaks destruction, much like, um, much like a car. You know, a car has a purpose. It's supposed to take us to a destination. Um, money has a purpose. It's supposed to afford things and provide things. A gun has a purpose. It's supposed to protect people, but put in the wrong hands and used destructively, it will lead to corruption and destruction and leave a, a pathway of devastation. So, that being said, let's talk about how everything is public nowadays. So I was thinking of this story. I used to work for this cleaning company, and uh, we hired a day porter to clean this uh, car dealership during the day when there are people there and staff to interact with. Usually cleaning people work at night, and there's no one there. What we didn't realize is it takes a certain amount of social intelligence to work in the day where there are people around, and we didn't do that in the hiring process, and this, this day cleaner, he didn't know how to interact with people and it became awkward and it really came to a head one day when he went to the general manager's office and leaned on the door frame and he was like, uh, you may not see me around a lot. I, I have diarrhea today and that's, you know, so if you don't see me and she's just like, ooh, let's like, I, you could have just said you have stomach problems or any of that, but that's what we, we do on Facebook. Now, I don't get on there a whole lot anymore because I got tired of it, but people just <laughs> dump everything out on Facebook. Why? And I'll tell you this, it's going to be very difficult for your spouse to be vulnerable with you if they feel like they live in a glass house. Or worse yet, they feel like they're under attack in front of everybody. Facebook is not the place to rant. It solves nothing. It's the digital equivalent to standing on your balcony and, and just yelling out your frustrations to everybody with an earshot. It doesn't bring anything good. All it brings is destruction to the most intimate relationships. What I believe happens in this, why I think this actually happens, this is my little theory, is this happens because people get starved for intimacy. And just like starving people, they see the other person as something to be devoured. Or maybe as they, they look for things to fantasize about because they're so hungry for intimacy. I think this is what happens when, when you see the guy post, and I'm not talking to anybody specifically, I'm just talking in general on Facebook here. But you see the guy who posts the video of this, this woman doing this thing, and he's like, wow, she's really amazing, and she's hot, and all this. And you're like, really? Like, you're married? What is that? You're diminishing what you have. And we poke fun and we joke around. Like, there's always the memes with the Ryan Gosling. He's like, hey, girl, you know, I'll give you everything you desire. You know, you can buy this thing or that. Which is kind of funny, but what if that was flipped? What if the husband was posting a picture of some woman, like Giselle or, or Angelina Jolie, saying, hey, go ahead, watch the game. In fact, I'll bring you a beer. 
and you can take out the trash after the game. It's, it's a little subtle dig at each other, like this, this isn't enough. And it may not even be intended that way, but it's very subtle and it attacks what it is to be vulnerable because what, what men fear in vulnerability is that it will diminish their strength, that they won't be enough. And what women fear in vulnerability is that they're not beautiful enough. That, 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 and when you do that, you're diminishing the other person. My little rant for a second. Vulnerability assumes privacy. If you confide, here's a, here's a quick little m- metric. If you confide more on Facebook and Twitter to the masses than you do to your spouse, the digital age has weakened your marriage. And if you want to strengthen it, be vulnerable with your spouse. Tell them what's on your heart and work through it with them. Social media cannot bring the intimate connection you desire. It doesn't have enough depth. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. The second thing you need for intimacy is intentional pursuit. The knowing that intimacy involves is this experiential knowledge that happens over time with no destination. Romance is all about the pursuit. It's all about the chase. It's about mystery and discovery. And if you've uttered the phrase, there's no more romance, it's not like it used to be. It's because the intentional pursuit is gone. It takes intentionality to pursue someone. A pursuit doesn't happen by accident. You don't just accidentally end up chasing somebody. It doesn't happen idly. It happens with intentionality. It takes effort and planning and work. Intimacy is a pursuit, and you cannot own intimacy. It cannot be purchased and stored on a shelf. You can only rent it, and the rent is due every day. You pay the rent by paying attention, by listening, by asking questions, by knowing what they love and drawing it out of them, by seeing someone as a complex and deep person that needs to be explored and discovered. There's nothing more insulting than somebody saying, ah, I got you figured out. That's where bigotry leads. It's, it's, it's assuming that people don't have any depth, that they're not complex or mysterious, made in the image of an infinite God. People are not concepts or math equations. They cannot be known by a simple observation. They are known through time and experience. Therefore, intimacy requires an intentional pursuit of experience. Now, what's the digital pitfall to that, this intentional pursuit? It's distraction. We live in an age of distraction. We all of our devices are made for distraction. They're made to just be on your person. Pretty soon they're just going to implant it into your eye. It's an iPhone. And then you, you're just never going to have it away from you. And we know this. I mean, have you ever sat in a room and there's like a lull or a moment in the conversation and you like immediately just boop? Or you see that couple that you laugh at out to eat and they're both like this? not even looking at each other, but then you realize that you do that? Maybe you've spent so much time binge-watching show after show, like Star Trek Next Generation, (laughs) on Netflix, and you say you have no time for dates, no time for intimacy, no time for this, or maybe, okay, how many people play video games in here? Okay, you... If you ever had the headset on and you're playing video games at night, there's always the guy 
who's playing, and you hear this conversation between him and his spouse that's going on, like, no, no, it's all right. It's all right. You can go to bed. Like, I don't have to go with you. Yeah. No, we're winning. We're winning right now. It's like, dude, that's virtual. You have reality right there in the other room. Put the phone down. Put the remote down. And intentionally pursue the person that God's given you. If you find yourself in the presence of each other and you're both looking at your phones with uninterrupted silence, the digital age has weakened your marriage and threatened your intimacy. If you go to bed together and you both just sit there on different iPads watching different things, the digital age has weakened your marriage and threatened intimacy. If you know more about the hopes and dreams and the motives of the characters on The Walking Dead or Star Trek Next Generation or House of Cards, then the digital age has weakened your marriage and threatened your intimacy. Now, the third thing I want to talk about is this. And this is probably the most important one because the two can't really, they really struggle without it. Intimacy requires a commitment to acceptance. Intimacy requires a commitment to acceptance. Intimacy is about going deep, and if you want to go deeper, and you want to have deeper connection, you have to have vulnerability. You cannot have vulnerability without trust, without believing that the other will accept you no matter what. And that's really what you commit to in marriage. That's what you're signing up for. You love no matter what, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. True love exists not in the absence of judgment, but in the face of it. This is an interesting concept. True love exists not in the absence of judgment, but in the face of it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast, right? We've heard this at every wedding. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it does rejoice in the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. True love exists not in the absence of judgment, but rather in the face of it. Now, let me explain this concept just one step further. Um, my sister loves Pride and Prejudice. Meh, I could take it or leave it. Jane Austen, it's like the same book every time, right? Like the girl's like, I'm going to be somebody, and I don't need to marry anybody. Oh, I love him, and he's smart. And then that kind of goes from there. It's like every story is that, Jane Austen. But it's a classic, so who am I to critique it? But in, in the story Pride and Prejudice, right, there's this scene where the main character, the, you know, the, the man, and the, he professes his love for the, the lead in that. I can't even remember their names. But here's what he says. He says, um, it simply will not do. My feelings cannot be repressed any longer. You must allow me to tell you how much I ardently admire and adore you. Guys, that's a good line, right? I mean, that's a winner. If you're single here, write that down. If you're married here, write that down. But he blows it like all of us guys do because he, didn't, he doesn't like shut his mouth after that. He goes on. And he says he loves her even though it goes against his will, his reason, and his better character. Not as romantic. She rejects him, and he, being a man, he doesn't know why, and the rest of the plot is figuring that out. Real love does not take place in the absence of judgment. 
but in the face of it, real love sees us and knows us and chooses to love the perfect imperfections. The words, I love you, mean nothing unless the person saying them actually knows you. Intimate true love is committed to love in the face of flaws and imperfection. Intimacy requires a commitment to acceptance. Now this digital pitfall I'm going to hit, there's a lot I could hit, but I want to hit this one head on. And I know Tim hit it a little bit last week. I'm going to hit it again because I think it's a huge problem. The digital pitfall to uh, a commitment to acceptance is counterfeit acceptance. And there's lots of forms of that. Some people find acceptance by making sure they have enough likes and friends on Facebook. But there's one that's really destructive, pornography. It's destructive because not only is it shallow, but it leaves the viewer ungaged and unknown. Unlike social media, it is not amoral because its only goal is destruction. It's not like a car. It can't take you anyplace good. Its only destination is wrath. It's not like money. It can't afford anything but corruption and destruction. It's not like a gun. It can't protect anything. In fact, it only destroys. You see, we, we as a culture have said, well, there's a need for sex, and so, so we, can, we can fill that need. And really what, what pornography is aiming at is acceptance. That's the fantasy, guys. It's not just about seeing something. It's about having intimacy without these other things, vulnerability or the pursuit. It's cheap intimacy by trying to get acceptance. And they can never accept you because they can never fully know you, and it will leave you starving. We have a need, a social need for intimacy, and it's tied to the biological need for sex. And sex is the physical expression of intimacy. It is meant to be expressed in the type of knowing that is vulnerable and ongoing and committed. Sex is a physical need just like food is a physical need. But trying to satisfy your sexual needs detached from intimacy and commitment is like trying to feed a starving body on a diet of Cheetos. It will leave you unnourished, malnourished, and unsatisfied and wanting more. And the funny thing is it's, a, it's cyclical because you don't get any acceptance, so you need it more. And an even more disturbing thought is along these lines, to imagine somebody so thin and, and, and their ribs exposed and they're, they're sitting in front of a screen drooling as they watch two people eat while they nibble on a piece of lettuce, hoping that they'll have, like, imagining that they're eating the three-course meal. They'll never be satisfied. They'll always be left wanting more. The only way to counter that, guys, is through acceptance. It's, it's through being accepted and being accepting. And if that's a struggle, then acceptance is lacking on one side or the other, or both. And if you want intimacy, you have to be committed to acceptance. So what can we do to strengthen marriage? Pursue intimacy. Pursue knowing and being known by your spouse. Now, how do you do this? It's very simple. I've just hit it like four times. Be vulnerable. No more secrets. No more hidden struggles. No more secret lives. Here's a question to measure this. Does my spouse know more than anyone else about what's really going on in here? 
Does my spouse know what more than anybody else about what's really going on in here and here, about my hopes and dreams, about the things that I'm struggling with? If the answer is no, then you are not pursuing intimacy. Be in pursuit. Intimacy is an intentional pursuit with no destination. Romance is about the intentional pursuit, the caring and loving so much that you want to dive in and uncover more. So am I, here's a question to measure it, am I intentionally pursuing the knowledge of my spouse with the same curiosity that I pursue the knowledge of others? Number three, be committed to acceptance. Vulnerability, pursuit, acceptance. Intimacy requires vulnerability, and vulnerability requires trust that it will be accepted, that I will be acceptable. So here's a question to ask yourself if you want intimacy in your marriage. Am I accepting of my spouse in their transparency, in, in my digging and finding more out about them and uncovering things? Am I accepting in the face of judgment, not in the absence of it? Because that's where it gets deeper. Now, I could just leave it here. It'd be a great how-to-do, but the most important intimacy you can ever experience, and I have to say this, the most important intimacy that you could engage with is your intimacy with God. Marriage is just a shadow or a picture of the greatest, most intimate relationship we can pursue, our intimacy with God. Is it fulfilling? Yes. Is it wonderful? Yes. Should you strengthen it by pursuing intimacy? Yes. But it's still only a shadow of the greatest pursuit of intimacy available to us. God has pursued us with intimacy. He became vulnerable. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was weakened and tempted in the wilderness. Being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He pursued us. Like a good shepherd, he left the 99 behind in order to look for the lost one. His name, Jesus, literally means God saves. He goes out of his way to redeem you. Jesus' life was God's pursuing us and saving us. And he accepts us. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sees you and he knows you. And before the act on the cross, he knew everything you'd ever done everything you ever will do, and he chose to accept you in the face of that judgment. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I am not a crier. I, I don't, I'm not Dave. Dave's the sensitive guy. But we were worshiping this morning, and that line just nailed me that I'm so unworthy, but still you love me. Do you realize how powerful the truth that is? Just kind of hidden inside of a song. That God accepts you despite everything you've ever done. Despite all the corruption, even if you weren't ever to change, the cross still stands there proclaiming his acceptance for you. That is the greatest intimacy you could ever pursue. God knows you, and he desires to be known by you. God has done everything to have intimacy with you. And if you feel far from him, and you feel like you have an intimacy problem with him, please listen. 
It's not on his side. He's been running after you, and you've been running as fast and hard as you can. He's pursuing you. He accepts you. He's made himself available to you. Now, it would be a travesty and a heresy for me to say that the greatest intimacy you could have in this life is, is in marriage. Because if you're unmarried, you're not half a person, and you're not messing out on intimacy that can never be fulfilled. That's something that sometimes gets lost in this message in the church, and I just want to encourage you and let you know that, the, that intimacy is available to you. What you need is available to you. Because if this isn't true, that God's intimacy fulfills our need for it, then the cross is not enough. It's the cross plus your soulmate, and it's not true. It's Christ alone. Marriage is an awesome experience, and when done right, it's a picture of intimacy. But even in its best imitation, it's still two imperfect people trying to reflect the perfect relationship we all need. Now, that being said, if marriage is a reflection of the intimacy we need with God, then it will be really hard to reflect an image that you don't comprehend or experience. Now, if you're struggling in your marriage and you don't know God, it's, it's a pretty simple fix, I think. It's a, it's a simple fix in praxis, but it takes a lifelong goal of experiencing. I spoke with a man who was in his fourth marriage, approaching 60, and he was talking about the previous three and how he didn't have the gospel. And with a tear almost in his eye, he said, the gospel is everything. It changes the way that you see other people. It changes your ability to accept things because you've been accepted perfectly. So if you want to strengthen your marriage, pursue intimacy. Pursue intimacy not just with your spouse, but with God. If you want intimacy in your life and deep connection that you were designed for, pursue intimacy with God. Be vulnerable and confess your sins. Intentionally pursue him by following his word and starting the journey of following Jesus Commit to accepting Jesus as your Savior. And I don't just mean that as a cliche that we say all the time, and it's almost like a credit card. How do you accept Jesus? But meaning we live in the knowledge that his act on the cross was enough. We accept that. And we abide in his grace, and we trust that no matter what you've done, no matter what you'll do, the cross has paid for it all, once and for all. Pursue intimacy, the greatest intimacy you can ever have pursue intimacy with God. And if you want to reflect that perfect relationship, pursue it in your marriages that God has given you. Let's pray. God, you are good. And I pray for people in, sitting in here who maybe for the first time have felt that, that silence grow between you and them have felt the weight of the silence between them and their spouse, and, and, and they're, they're, they've been trying to fix all the pieces. I pray that you'd give them wisdom now, that you would give them a desire and a passion, that you'd rekindle the romance and the pursuit, because to know and be known is one of the greatest needs you've given us. And I pray that that would be satisfied. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your pursuit of us, the grace that you've made available, the gifts that you give us. 
May we engage with you in every moment, in every breath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go and change your world for Him. To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.